this is our April residency season. And I have here Kara Vandegraaff and Wolf, who were writing residents here with us. I'll just read a short little poem. It's called Sonnet with a Wishbone in the Throat. I trust the hen and cut the breast clean, pliable, soft with cartilage. I thought my mouth could swallow it whole, but the bone went brittle, broke through the skin of my neck like two thorns. Its prongs scissored out above my clavicle, windpipe split in a perfect Y. When I speak, each phrase kaleidoscopes, modifies, a duet of whispers I lip into air. I sound sweet when I want to be bitter. I bite back my anger's flare. My voice box grows into an echo chamber, buzzes double alive. Forgive me, I must say everything twice, once to punish, once to entice. The southern sun shines brightly. It's a morning ball of yellow with warmth that makes everyone frolic with glee near the water's edge. Princess is primping her little dumpling of a girl with insistent fingers pushing her baby's naturally wiry hair down to a flat plane. The hair defies direction. This mother has an iron will hidden deep in her bones and commands the realm of appearances like a seasoned general. Compass hair will obey, period. The little flesh ball, all round and pudge, squirms and asserts her will with squeals and defiant lines. It is a war just starting that will be fought in many near and distant theaters. There will be a lifetime of skirmishes, holocausts, and draws. This might be the first foray, the first cannon shot over a braid. On the scratchy blanket, the baby gambles. The mother princess looks disoriented. She distractedly pets her son. She wants something that isn't here. Scanning the horizon, assuring herself that there is enough distance between the water and her daughter, she gathers her son to her breast and says to no one in particular, you stay here, to the little girl. Mommy and Refredo are going for a walk. Kampa amuses herself as much as a two-year-old can by digging her fat, limber toes into the sand, clapping her sand-coated mitts together, and tugging at the strings of the floppy bonnet stuck on her head. Time, which does not exist for a child, passes. The heat is getting more than temperate. The sun stands up full strength in the sky like a spotlight. It focuses on the sleeping child. Like a small chicken, unbasted, the skin is reddening and beginning to sizzle. Physiology is kind. The nerves have deadened all warnings of pain and danger as the now deeply anesthetized child climbs the scale from first degree to second degree. She's snoozing. Princess Jemana has been enjoying her meander. Her figure has captured every eye as she has strolled down the beach. The perfect young Madonna beautiful sleeping babe in arm. She's chatted unguardedly with each and every admirer. Her charm exudes like a rare flower's perfume and attracts lively audiences. This appreciation, this attention is deeply nourishing to her as Blasto can only stand his limelight and she, a fob to his chain, can only further reflect his grandeur alone. 
She can be forgiven for her gorging on this beach amble. Or can she? Her daughter, a small competitor for Blasto's affection, is cooking like a rare roast and has been mildly forgotten. Oh my, she utters to the grandmotherly woman who pets the fuzzy head of Refredo. I must get my daughter. She's probably hungry now. Yes, dear girl, the woman says. Why don't you bring her round and we can all eat together? I'll do that, says Princess, turning from the clack and sashaying away, thinking, I'm lovely coming and I'm lovelier going. I'll walk a bit more slowly. What a lovely day. As she begins to see the markers that tell her she is nearing her blanket and her daughter, Princess wonders at the crowd that seems to be hovering near her spot. Just beyond the washed-up buoys stand old men in baggy-legged suits, bellies limp, reaching down towards something. Women are looking beyond and through their dark sunglasses, saying something out loud, but still not understood by Princess Jinmana. She picks her feet up, now thinking with alarm, perhaps something's happened to my daughter. The murmurs are now turning into words, and she can begin to understand beyond the pounding surf and her own heart. What kind of mother would leave a baby like this alone in the sun? Where is that woman, the man who's abandoned this child? Call the police. Someone get a doctor. The child is dying. Now she's galloping, refredo awake, crying and pushing her face out of proportion. She squeezes through the crowd. What is going on? Leave my daughter alone, and then gasps in horror. Are you the mother? Where have you been? Are you stupid? Drunk? Where's your husband? One common thread in both of your work, there's a focus on the body specifically as like a corporeal physical force in the world. And I was wondering if you could talk to me about like where that comes from or if that is less interesting to you, um, what are you driving towards? So what's your mission? If I could say it that way. Yeah. I find that, well, since I live in one, <laughs> I find it a very curious thing because you don't get an operating manual and it's mm -hmm. sort of learning as you go. So for um, very early experience, everything has been really sensorial for me. And... Um, I'm a very tactile person, so I think that I'm always touching things and trying to understand like the construct of it. Mm -hmm. And I always think there, there are extensions of, of my own body, that mm -hmm. it's an expression of somebody's... It's a thought, but it's a body, an mm -hmm. embodied thought. And I've watched myself over time. I was very interested for a very long time on the idea of reincarnation. And it wasn't at all like a religious kind of exchange. It was watching my body change. I used to be a size two. Um, I watched it put weight on. I watched it change colors in its hair. I watched it um, get very languorous and I watched it get really lazy. I've watched it get broken. I've watched it been stitched up. Mm -hmm. I've watched it been nauseous. So there's all these different things that occur in that Thing that I'm operating in all the time. Mm -hmm. So when I write the body and the faces, and they're endlessly interesting to me, 
it's so interesting to me to hear Wolf talk about her interest in the body because it feels like her answer feels so embodied mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and lived. And mm-hmm. I think um, um, I I feel quite in my head about thinking about the body, which mm-hmm. is is interesting to me because I think it's part of the problem I'm trying to solve by oh. writing the body. Um, I think I think I have a kind of lifelong um, obsession and curiosity and also, um, you know, kind of problematic around the body in terms of thinking about what the relationship between my body and my interior is. And I think I, you know, that's those, there are questions that come out of that relationship that um, spur on a lot of my, my work and my thinking about the body in poetry. Um, and so that really connects to the answer that I gave you about other mediums. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm interested in, in those bodies and their relationship to beauty and then mine. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, so I'm thinking a lot about that. And I guess if I had a, if I had a mission right now, I, I think I probably have multiple missions all of the time. Some of them personal, some of them related to my own identity and some of them kind of larger like rhetorical or political and I'm very interested right now in considering the kinds of bodies that we're interested in in poetry and um you know the kind of in in my feeling limited scope to what those can look like or feel like or the lived experiences of those bodies and um how we talk about them and I'm really curious about whether our practices the structures of our language, the ways that we write, mm-hmm. the kind of language we enact, what and what we value, what's the relationship between that and the mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. bodies that we're calling forth mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. conversing with in our writing. And so that's what I'm really trying to probe and reach for in my poems right now. Do you all know that as residents at VSC, there has been figure drawing every day of the week. Yes. Did. Yeah. And I did. did you go? I did go. I found it to be super helpful. Yeah. And yeah. sort of probing these questions. It is. You, you, you had an opportunity to check it out. Well, what happened? I did. Um, well, I went and the, the model's fabulous. Mm-hmm. And uh, very inventive. Yeah. And she has a very unusual body. So it's a really good body to draw because it's odd. <laughs> and, um, and odd is really important. Um, yeah. I really appreciate sort of the idiosyncratic. Anything that's just purely beautiful is beautiful, but it has its own kind of, um, what should I say, it has its own kind of perceived environment. And everybody sort of pays into that same environment around great beauty. It's stunning. And it has a reductive quality in a way, like we're in awe, we're sort of gobsmacked by it. Mm -hmm. And so I find that the really odd, um, grotesque, Mm -hmm. unusual, strange, normal, really, more (laughs) normal, is really compelling. And I, so I know I'm drifting, but when I was drawing it, that's what I'm looking at. I I don't look into the personality so much. I just look at the tenuous oddness of things 
and try to uh, resonate with that difference and feel it in my own experience. And it allows me to find a kind of um, compassion for myself and the other. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate oddness and differentness um, because it's me and everyone's like that mirror. Mm 